0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Something unexpected happened this week after the release of Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report, Attorney General William Barr became quite chatty and provided an information dump that had a lot of news in it. That's what I want to talk about today. After the release of Horowitz's report and a lot of news coverage about it, in fact, a lot of news coverage saying things like it exonerated former FBI Director James Comey, It disproved all the theories that Donald Trump had about him being spied on or his campaign being spied on. There was no political bias on the part of FBI agents or officials involved in the surreptitious monitoring of people connected to President Trump or then-candidate Trump. Well, after all that, Attorney General William Barr came out in public and gave a couple of interviews. He gave one interview to NBC News' Pete Williams, and another at the Wall Street Journal's CEO Council, an event that was recorded on C-SPAN. I watched both of them, and the content was almost identical in terms of the information that Barr gave, and it was clear that he wanted to say certain things and make certain points. He was talking about the U.S. intelligence community's actions against the Trump campaign in 2016 and 2017. As you may know, A criminal investigation is underway and being led by U.S. Attorney John Durham under Barr's supervision. This is entirely separate from the Inspector General's investigation. Now, Barr was motivated to make the public statements, he said, after the Horowitz report, by the misreporting and confusion surrounding that report. I don't think Barr's statements and comments really made the news that it should have made, and maybe part of it was because Those appearances, from what I saw, were not transcribed. Someone would have had to sit down and watch 10, 15, 20 minutes, and a lot of people don't have time to do that. So I put a lot of it in writing, and I published an article at epictimes.com, if you want to look for that. But I'm going to go over the 24 points that Barr felt the need to make after the release of the Horowitz Report in these interviews. And remember, I think this is very calculated. These are things that he wants the public to know And in the process, we got a lot of news. Okay, number one, he said, don't expect Durham's findings, that criminal probe, to be announced before late spring or summer of 2020. Now, that's different than what a lot of people have been saying. In fact, pretty recently, some Republican members of Congress have been saying they expect the Durham report out quite soon. Well, clearly Barr is saying, don't expect that to be the case. We're looking at late spring or summer. Number two, the FBI says Barr did spy on the Trump campaign. He said that's what electronic surveillance is. Of course, he differs with other people who don't want to call that spying because they say, including the inspector general, because there was a lawful wiretap, a lawful court order, that they don't consider that spying. On the other side, Barr says, and many others, that is exactly what spying is. You're assigning... Human sources to surreptitiously talk to people affiliated with the Trump campaign. You're getting secret wiretaps to listen in on conversations. So that's sort of a difference of opinion, but Barr clearly sees that as spying, just like President Trump said. Number three, regarding the FBI's actions in surveilling Trump campaign associates, Barr says it was a travesty, his word, and that there were many abuses. Number four. From, quote, day one, Barr says, the FBI investigation actually generated exculpatory information about the targets. In other words, information that tended to point to the target's innocence and nothing, he said, that corroborated Russia collusion. Number five, Barr said it is a big deal, his words, to use U.S. law enforcement and intelligence resources to investigate the opposing political party and he said, I cannot think of another recent instance where this happened. Now, it's basically saying that the FBI and our intel agencies were investigating political rivals and using intelligence tools and government power to do so. A huge violation in Barr's eyes. Number six, evidence to start the FBI's investigation into Trump associates during the campaign Barr says was flimsy from the start and based on the idea that Trump aged George Papadopoulos expressed to somebody that he may have had pre-knowledge of a democratic national committee computer hack. However, the Papadopoulos comment, according to Barr, was actually just an offhand barroom comment made by this young campaign aide, described merely as a suggestion of a suggestion, a vague allusion to the fact that the Russians may have something they can dump that's negative for Hillary Clinton. But Barr wanted to make the point that by that time, it was May of 2016, there was already rampant speculation online and in political circles that the Russians had hacked Hillary Clinton's emails in 2014 and that they might surface during this campaign. So Barr says the idea that Papadopoulos's comment, showing pre-knowledge of the Democratic National Committee hack and dump, he says that's a big stretch, yet that's exactly what the FBI used to justify starting an investigation into all of this. Number seven, Barr says it was wrong for the FBI to presume the Trump campaign was part of any plot. In other words, if the FBI believed that Russia was trying to interfere in our election somehow. Barr says the FBI should have gone to the Trump campaign and discussed the suspicions and actually warned the Trump campaign to keep their eyes open, ask them if there had been any suspicious conduct or contacts of any sort. That's called a defensive briefing, and according to Barr, that's commonly done. He's done them. He knows of them being done, including to campaigns. But for some reason, the FBI kept the Trump campaign in the dark. FBI officials explained to the inspector general that they did so because they didn't want to tip off anybody in the Trump campaign who might be involved in something suspicious, but Barr dismisses that and says that the normal thing to do would be to tell the campaign that there could be attempted foreign interference. And this is where we go to number eight on my list. Barr says there is no legitimate explanation as to why the FBI didn't do it. Barr particularly points to the idea that It doesn't make sense in his view because our intelligence officials and President Obama repeatedly directly contacted the Russians during 2016, the guilty party, and told them to cut it out, but they didn't want to talk to the Trump campaign and warn them or tell them that there could be something up or to be careful. So that, he thinks, makes it look like the FBI wasn't interested in protecting national security or helping make sure there was no interference on our elections as much as they wanted to get the goods against a political rival, get the goods on President Trump. Number nine, Barr points out if the purpose were to protect the election, the FBI would have given the defensive briefing to the Trump campaign and thereby have disrupted potentially any foreign activity in time to protect the U.S. election. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Number 10, as to the FBI's motive and all of the misconduct identified by the inspector general, Barr said, quote, That's why we have Durham. He says, I'm not saying that the FBI's motivations were necessarily improper, but he said it's premature to say they weren't improper. Number 11, Barr pointed out that the inspector general operates differently as an internal watchdog that the Durham investigation is something quite separate and apart. The inspector general and Horowitz's approach, which Barr says he agrees with for an internal watchdog, is to say that as long as the people who are implicated in possible abuse or bad behavior have what sound like reasonable explanations for the so-called wrongdoing, as long as they have that, and the inspector general does not have documentary or testimonial evidence to the contrary, such as emails that say they had a bad motive, or text messages, or other witnesses that tell on them. If that's absent, he just pretty much accepts what the employees are telling him, what the alleged guilty parties are saying. That's kind of how the inspector general operates, and pretty much Barr says how he has to for various reasons. In fact, the inspector general report is pretty much just hearing from those who are accused or implicated, kind of taking their explanations. It's sort of a defensive document. You don't hear anything from the people who were wronged. For example, the inspector general didn't interview the people who were possibly improperly surveilled or the victims of the alleged abuses that Horowitz identified. He just talks to the FBI agents themselves and the officials and hears their explanations and pretty much accepts them, like I say, unless there is some really specific documentary evidence that contradicts them. And even then, by the way, When the witnesses contradict one another or things don't add up, Horowitz pretty much in the Inspector General report just lists that there was a contradiction but doesn't draw necessarily any conclusions from it. Number 12, contrary to much reporting, the Inspector General did not rule out improper motive on the part of FBI officials and agents. He simply did not find documentary, or testimonial evidence of improper motive, and Barr says those are two entirely different things. Number 13, Barr says, instead of talking to the Trump campaign, the FBI secretly wired up sources and had them talk to four people affiliated with the Trump campaign in August, September, and October 2016. Number 14, Barr says, all of the information from this surveillance came back exculpatory, regarding any supposed relationship to Russia and specific facts, but, says Barr, the FBI didn't inform the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which approved the wiretaps against former Trump campaign volunteer Carter Page four times. Number 15, Barr says at one point early on the FBI didn't have enough so-called probable cause for a wiretap warrant, so it took the so-called steel dossier information against Trump, which Barr says the FBI had done nothing to verify and used that to get the wiretaps. Now, again, this flies in the face of much reporting that claimed falsely that the Steele dossier, the discredited document that was paid for by the Democrats, opposition research given to the FBI, this flies in the face of the claims by many in the media and by people like former intelligence official John Brennan, who claimed that the dossier played little to no role in getting those secret wiretaps against a U.S. citizen, Carter Page. Number 16, Barr says, the wiretaps allowed the FBI to go back and capture Page's communications, emails, and other material from weeks, months, and even years ago. So even though Page had left the Trump campaign by the time the first wiretap actually got approved, the wiretap allowed a look back, allowed the FBI to go way back and look at anything they wanted. Number 17. Should the four FBI applications to wiretap Trump campaign aide Carter Page have ever been made, Barr was asked, considering that there were 17 critical omissions or errors by the FBI, identified by the inspector general, making it appear they had better evidence than they had to wiretap Page. Barr replied, this is the meat of the issue and, quote, if you spend time to look at what happened, you would be appalled. Number 18. Barr says the FBI withheld from the court, the FISA court, all of the exculpatory information and the lack of reliability of the main FBI source, Christopher Steele, who is being paid by the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign to find evidence connecting Trump to Russia. Number 19. The major takeaway, says Barr, is that after the election in January, this is in 2017 now, the FBI finally talked to one of Steele's important sources to try to verify some of the dossier information and sourcing, as the FBI is required to do and should have done before the first wiretap application. The Steele source, listen to this, told the FBI that he didn't know what Steele was talking about in the dossier, and that he told Steele that the information he'd provided Steele was nothing more than supposition and theory. At that point, Barr says it was clear the dossier was a sham. Yet the FBI didn't tell the court and continued to get further wiretaps based on that dossier. Number 20. Further, Barr says the FBI falsely told the court that this source of Steele's had proven reliable and truthful. In fact, Barr says... What the source had told the truth about was that the dossier was garbage. It's hard to look at this, says Barr, and, quote, not think it was gross abuse. Number 21. Barr was asked, were the four Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act judges who approved the four wiretaps against Trump associate Carter Page badly misled by the FBI? Barr said yes. Number 22. Barr was asked, are people going to be held accountable, including at the very top of our intelligence agencies and or FBI? Barr answered, well, they're all gone. Number 23. The whole Russia collusion hype was, according to Barr, a, quote, bogus narrative hyped by an irresponsible press that proved entirely false in the end. Barr was asked, our former FBI director, James Comey, and former FBI official Andy McCabe and others implicated in this current Durham investigation. Barr responded by saying, quote, I've said, I think in that group there was a failure of leadership. And then, quoting the inspector general, Barr said, the explanations the inspector general received from these leaders as to what looks like abuse and misbehavior, those explanations, said the IG, were not satisfactory, so Barr says, you can draw your own conclusions. And lastly, Barr wanted to address the question that some people have as to why we haven't already thrown people in prison for these alleged abuses and this misconduct identified by the inspector general. And what Barr said to that was, quote, these things take time. He went on to explain that the government has to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt before we indict, and he said that's a substantial hurdle. And he added, nobody is going to be indicted and go to jail unless that standard is met. So in the end, in those two interviews that Barr provided, there was a treasure trove of information about what stands to be one of the most important investigations into our U.S. intelligence community of our time. And I think his signposts indicate we can expect a shakeup of a system that may have been broken for decades. hope you enjoyed this podcast if you did leave a comment like it share it with your friends and consider subscribing to the Cheryl Atkinson podcast and full measure after hours those are two of my podcasts you can listen to them on iTunes or your favorite distributor or visit SherylAckeson.com and just look at the podcast tab you can listen to them right there do your own research make up your own mind think for yourself thanks for listening